All right, what time is service next week? All right. Let me start off with another question. What is October 31st? Right, it is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther posting his 95 theses on the door. That's what was coming to your mind, right? October 31st, right? October 31st. October 31st this month is the 500th anniversary of Reformation Day uh, when Martin Luther, this 16th century monk, posted on the door at Wittenberg, Germany, his 95 theses or questions or challenges to the current church at the time. I know that's what you were thinking it was because every year on October 31st, your children are always asking, can I dress up as Martin Luther this year? And so this will be the year on the 500th anniversary when you're like, yes, you can dress up like Martin Luther this year. This would be a good year to do that. I want to talk, I bring up Martin Luther because I want to talk to you about three words this morning. I want you to consider three words. There are three words that Martin Luther said, but there are also three words that another uh, historical figure has said. Three words that come from the life of this man and that a couple historical figures have said. Um, Martin Luther, if you're not familiar with him, like I said, he was uh, in the 16th century. Uh, he lived and he was a monk in the Catholic Church, and yet he saw some things that uh, didn't line up with Scripture. And so he brought those to the attention of the authorities that be, and they weren't really happy with it. Um, and so he ended up in exile in certain places. And then he went through something called the Diet of Worms. It's not what you think. It's not a way to lose weight and add muscle. Although maybe it could be that. I've never tried a diet of worms. Um, it could do that. I'm not sure. But the diet of worms, diet is actually a German word uh, that means assembly. And worms is actually a city in Germany that sounds much cooler when you say it with the German worms. So it is the diet of worms. And it was an imperial assembly to examine the life and teaching of what this man, Martin Luther, was doing. And it was held in 1521 from January to May. And as a part of that assembly and questioning, the Catholic Church was questioning what he said. They weren't a big fan of what was going on with Martin Luther. And as a part of that, on April 18th of 1521, he made what was probably one of the most famous statements or quotes uh, that Martin Luther is known for. And this is what he said at the Diet of Worms, eight, April 8th, 8, 1521. Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by Scripture in plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they've contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Say these three words with me. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. These three words, here I stand, are the ones I want us to consider the morning, this morning. They're bold. They're inspiring. But Martin Luther wasn't the only person to say them. There was another person, an important historical figure, that also used these three words, and these are the words that she said. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem so small, and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. 
It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. You want to sing it with me? Let it go. Let it go. I can't sing. I am one with the wind and sky. Let it go. Let it go. You'll never see me cry. Say these three words. Here I stand and here I'll stay. Let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyway. That's right. That famous historical figure, the Disney princess Elsa. This may be the first time you've ever seen Elsa and Martin Luther side by side on a stream in church. <laughs> Not maybe. But here we go. They both said, here I stand. Elsa, tired of holding back and denying an aspect of who she was, finally throws off the shackles of oppressive society and proclaims, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. Here I stand. With this phrase, here I stand, both Luther and Elsa are embracing their beliefs and their identity. They both feel it's important to be consistent, to have integrity, not be a hypocrite, not be fake, to be true to themselves. And these are things that we all think are important too. They say these things, but they, even though they use the same three words, they actually come at it and get to that place from two very different avenues and two very different groundings. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, all right, pastor, you're going to side with the 16th century monk over the Disney princess. And you're probably right. But let's talk about how we're going to get there and why it's important. I liked Frozen. I thought it was a good movie. But, uh, but let's talk about why these two statements of both saying, here I stand, but saying them for two very different reasons. Uh, I want to start by looking at what they're really talking about. And what they're talking about really is identity, right? They're talking about who I am. Martin Luther is saying, look, this is who I am. I stand on these convictions. I have these beliefs. This is who I am. Elsa, the Disney princess, fictional as she may be, is saying this is who I am and I'm going to embrace it. This is, you know, I can't do anything other. This is who I am. And I think this idea of figuring out who we are is something a lot of people in our world are often trying to answer that question. Who am I? And where do I find the information of who I am? Jesus, when uh, he was confronted by some religious leaders, was in many ways confronted with this very question of who we are, people were asking him. Religious leaders came to him, these Pharisees. They were trying to trick him and trap him uh, in some of his words. And when they were, they, it says in Matthew 22, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And they said, teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, this may seem like a pretty strange and maybe innocuous question, but it's really a question about identity. You see, here's what was happening. The Jewish people were living under Roman oppression in the first century, but they didn't like it. No one loves, likes living under oppression, right? 
And one of the ways that the Roman Empire would exert their authority is by forcing everyone of their subjects to pay taxes to them. And so they would force them to pay taxes. But the Jewish people were very proud people and they believed they were free and they weren't slaves. And so for them to pay the tax would be admitting that they're under Roman rule. And so they'd, I'd imagine this was probably a common question in the day and they'd argue about this. Should we pay the taxes? Shouldn't we? And they realized that there's no good answer to it. And so these religious leaders bring it to Jesus in order to trap him in his words because they know either way he answers is going to be a problem. If he says, yes, pay taxes to Rome, then he is defining those people as Roman citizens. If he says, no, don't pay taxes, then he's teaching them to be rebellious. Either one is going to be a problem for him. But both of them are getting at this question of, who are we? Who do you say? Are we subjects of Rome? Or are we free people and God is our king? And so they think they've got him trapped. Let's come back to that passage in a few minutes, and we'll look at Jesus' answer. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit more about this idea of identity that's so important to us, figuring out who am I. We saved this message to the last one in this Challenging Our Assumptions series, partly because I feel like it's one of the ones that many people in our world really wrestle with and really believe the most. This idea that you've got to figure out who you are. And then once you do, you just live that out no matter what anybody else says. You've got to figure out your identity. You've got to figure out who you are as an individual. And then once you do, you do you. You be you no matter what anybody else says. And then you'll find happiness and fulfillment in that place. Well, I will say this. I don't think the question of who I am and figuring out who we are is a bad thing. In fact, I think there's a lot of good that's come out of the focus on us individually understanding who we are. There used to be a time when you didn't have to ask this question. The answer was already given to you. You didn't ask, who am I or what am I going to do? Or Because depending on where you were born and who you were born to, it was already answered for you. I mean, you're born into the Cartwright family <clears throat> or the Wainwright family. You know what you're going to be doing? Anybody know? You're going to be fixing wagons. <laughs> Cartwrights and the Wainwrights. <clears throat> Those were the wagons. What are you doing if you're born into the Cooper family? Yeah. You're making barrels. That's right. That's your future's already put. How about the hat makers? Well, you know what the hat makers are doing. Hat makers, the carpenters, the smiths, the tailors, whatever you're born into, you're pretty much set in what you're going to be doing. People didn't have a lot of choice. And in fact, that's why a lot of people you see immigrated through Ellis Island and other ways to come to the United States because they knew in their country where they were born to, who they were born to, it was going to determine their future, and they wanted to go someplace where they would have more say in it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Christianity in many ways has brought this truth to us, that it matters what, you know, individuals have matters apart from, have matter and value apart from who they're born to in the larger society, that there is value to that. And I think that's a good thing. But I also think that as our world, in our world, we've often taken it a little too far. And we have enthroned and almost deified this idea of just figure out who you are and you go with that no matter what else is said on the outside. 
recent Huffington Post article brought this truth out, talking about your only allegiance is to yourself. The article said, Be, being true to yourself means you don't worry about pleasing other people, living by someone else's standards or rules. You don't care what people think of you. You live as your natural self without compromise. No one can tell you how to be true to yourself except you. And I think many people, in fact, maybe many of us have kind of bought into this. Well, you just got to be true to you. I was out golfing a couple years ago, and I was golfing in a uh, tournament. In fact, it was all year. I was playing in a league this year, and it came down to this last match on the last day of the league year, and we were playing for the league championship. Me and my partner against two other people that we were golfing against. And we were playing these 18 holes for the, for the league championship. And at one point, my partner's ball had uh, got plugged down in the mud. And if you don't golf, you may not know that you really can't touch your ball, no matter what. You just got to kind of play it where it lies. And if it lands in the mud, it lands in the mud. And that's a tough break. But sometimes there'll be a rule for the day that they'll say it's called pick and clean. You know, that you can, you, they'll allow you to pick it up, clean it out, put it down, and you, can, and you can play it. Well, we weren't sure what the rule was that day. And so my partner asked the other two people we're playing with, and they said, you know, can I pick up my ball and clean it? You know, can I, can I pick my ball up and clean it and put it down? And the response of the guy we were playing against stuck with me. Because he didn't say yes, and he didn't say no. His response was, hey, you do you. Hey, you be you. Whatever you want to do, man, you, you just do that. And I remember thinking, what a strange response. Because I, I'll tell you, I'll let you know something. I'm a firstborn. I'm a rule follower. And on the golf course, I'm really a rule follower, if you've ever golfed with me. All right? You can, you we'll go golfing, and you can play whatever game you want. I'm going to play golf. And so I end up following. So when he said, you do you, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, we're playing, a, like, can I just throw the ball if I want to throw the ball? Can I? But I say that because I think it's indicative of much of the world we live in. Hey, don't worry about the rules. No rules, no right. Just, man, you do you. You play your game, I'll play my game. You know, we'll do, it will be fine. And there's this, mentality that I think has enthroned our individual wants and feelings. That if you just figure out what you want, you just do that, you'll probably be, you'll be happy. Well, I think there's some problems with this. Let me give you three problems with this idea that you just need to look inside yourself and figure out who you are and just do that and then you'll be happy and have meaning. See, I think much of the world around us will say you need to realize who you are. You need to realize your identity. You need to look inside you and just realize your identity. Well, I think there's at least three challenges and problems with that. One is this. Our feelings are so fickle. When we look inside of ourselves, it's so different one day to the other, isn't it? How many things did you think you were going to be when you were a kid? I mean, when you were, you were going to be a firefighter, you were going to be a policeman, a teacher, you were going to be president, you were going to, I mean, how many things? Your feelings change. You know, but our feelings change, right? And if we base everything on our feelings at times, you know, we'll find that they change. One day, hey, I'm never getting married. The next day, you're walking down the aisle. I'm never going to have kids. You're driving a minivan to the soccer game. 
You know, it's, 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 it changes. Our desires change. I'm going to go all out in my career. I want to stay home. Our feelings change. And if we base our, if we try and say, well, your identity is only based on how you feel and just look within yourself, you say, man, I'm always changing inside. That's not a very solid thing to base it on. But the other thing, not only do our feelings change, the other point is that often our thinking is influenced way more than our, by our external surroundings than we would care to admit. Often our thinking is influenced much more by things going on around us than we would care to admit, right? Just walk through the mall. Walk through the mall and look at everybody who thinks they're being their own person, and you're like, man, they kind of all look alike. We kind of we all dress alike, even though we're all trying to be our own person. And it's like it, there's, we're often influenced by external factors more than we care to realize. Let me give you an example that Tim Keller gives in his book, Preaching, that really kind of opened my eyes to this. He gives us an example. He said, imagine a man, a young man, living in 800 A.D., who's an Anglo-Saxon warrior. Uh, you get that picture in your head? Anglo-Saxon warrior. And he said, imagine this man has two competing desires that are going on in his life. One is he's got this internal desire that is violent. He's angry. He wants to break things, right? He wants to just, he wants to, uh, he wants to go to war. He wants to destroy things, and he wants to break things. But then he also has this desire in his life, Keller says, that's a same-sex attraction. Now, in 800 A.D., as an Anglo-Saxon warrior, he's going to say to himself, that anger, that, that, that violence, that breaks, that's who I am. That's me. That other thing, that same-sex attraction thing, that's not me. You know, I'm going to squelch that and push that down, and I'm going to, I'm going to be the angry, I'm going to be the warrior, I'm going to be violent, I'm gonna, let's go to war and break stuff. And then Keller says, now imagine, fast forward, that same person in 21st century Manhattan, New York. Same two desires. And then he's going to say, wait, that violence, that anger, that break, no, 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 that's not me. That's not who I am. So I'm going to squelch down. I'm going to push that down. That same-sex attraction thing, oh, that's okay. That's who I am. That's really who I am. Well, what's changed? The person hasn't changed. What's changed only is the external circumstances around them that said one thing's okay now, but not okay then, or one thing's okay then, but not okay now. And we think we're being our own person. We think we're, oh, this is, we're just doing, you know, what, who I am. But really, we're very much influenced by the external factors around us. It's not just us being who we are. The truth is we're very much often influenced by the world around you. You can't not be influenced by the world around you. So to say you have to realize your identity internally, the problem is we're so fickle with our feelings, we're much more influenced by the external forces around us than we would admit. And third and finally, we really want and look for external approval and value. The truth is, I think we are made and designed, and most of us realize that we really long for something outside of ourselves to give us an identity and to tell us more who we are. We do this all the time in our lives. We're, we're 
trying to succeed and we get rewards for it and we feel good about that, accomplishments. We clap for people when they do well. We cheer for them. We give them rewards. Why? Because that external affirmation is important to people, that we're often looking for that. I was uh, one... I watched this, uh, some of you may watch this show called Deadliest Catch. Anyone ever heard of it? I've shared a little bit about this before, right? I, it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. I watch these crab fishermen. And, uh, and part of the reason I watch them is because their world is so different than mine. They're like out on these crab boats doing, I don't know, they're, they're just wind in their face and water overboard and they're fighting 30-foot waves. And I'm like, my world is nothing like that. But one, one of these things that ca- comes true to me as I watch this, I watch these captains on these crab boats, these salty, seasoned, grisly men who are out there risking their lives and the lives of others, trying to protect themselves, trying, you know, these guys that I think are the toughest guys in the world when I see these guys. They're not afraid of anything. And then you listen to them talk, and it amazes me how many of them out there are often talking about their fathers, that how many of these captains, I was watching one episode this year that this one captain, he's like, this, this number on this buoy, this is my dad's birthday. And, 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 this, is, and this is, you know, this number on this buoy is the, is the day my dad died. And this one's for dad. And this string we're fishing for dad. And this trip out is for dad. And how many, and it's not just one, how many of them come back into port and they say, you know, dad must have been watching over us or I hope dad is pleased with that one. These are guys whose fathers have been dead for 10 and 20 and 30 years and they are still looking for approval from their dad. Still looking to please their father. And it's, it's not just crab fishermen. I say that because you look at these guys and you think, man, if anyone should just be independent God, you know, it should be them. But it's all of us, isn't it? We're looking for approval. We're looking for affirmation. There's something within us that says we need something outside of us to tell us who we are, to tell us what, we, what we're valued at, to tell us, you know, give us an identity. We need something outside of us. And yet we live in this world that says, well, just look inside and you'll find it and just live that out and you'll be happy. And we have these lives that say, no, I need something more than that. I need something more than just living out what I feel today. I need something more than that. There's something inside me that says I need something outside of me. That it's not about realizing our identity. Well, for Christianity, it's different. Christianity would say it is not about realizing your identity. Your identity is not to be realized. It is something you receive. It's not something you realize. It's something you receive, not from inside of yourself, because that can change, but from outside of yourself, that God himself would tell you who you are and would bestow value upon you. Because someone could tell me, that I'm a great guy, or someone could tell you you're a great guy or a great woman. And if they're a stranger, well, okay, thanks. You know, it doesn't mean too much. Now, if there's someone you know well, it means a little bit more, right? Maybe if they're your parent, and they say, hey, good job, proud of you, it means a little bit more. But then if it's your creator and your maker, saying, you know what, I love you. 
pleased with you and that you're valuable. Well, then it means a little bit more, doesn't it? And that's exactly what God does for us. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing of your identity is you have been created in the image of God. And that itself is external and brings value to you. You don't have to create your own value. You don't have to realize your value. You receive it from God who has said to you, I have made you. I have made you in my image. He's taken the time to create you, and he has given value to you. Isaiah 43, God says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine, he says to his people. Philippians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says these words, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So in that statement, Paul's saying, look, all my possessions, all my positions, they don't mean anything. You know, it means something in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's where my identity is. That's where my value is. Not having a righteousness that comes of my own, of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That there's a value that comes from outside of you. There's an external value that says you are valuable, you are loved. This is who you are no matter what anyone else says to you. And no matter what is inside of you. The world says identity is something that has to be realized from within. Something to be discovered and searched for. But Christianity says something very different. Christianity says identity is something that is received and not received simply from your family or your culture because of your name or where you're from or where you were born, but received from your creator and your maker. My identity is not tied to my realization on the inside of who I am. My identity is tied to the fact of what I have received from God himself. Our world is often trying to figure this out. Who am I? But really, it's not something we need to realize from inside. It's something we need to receive from outside of ourselves. Martin Luther uses the same unapologetic phrase, here I stand, as Elsa, but they have a very different starting point. Maybe you caught it in the quote. Martin Luther said this, my conscience is captive to the word of God, Luther says. His stand was based upon an external reality, not an internal realization. Luther did not care what others said because he cared what God said. In contrast, Princess Elsa did not care what others said because of how she felt and what she wanted to do. Luther stood on the solid rock of who God is and the value he gives to his creation and those who follow him. Many in our world often stand on shifting sands of desires and emotions and the flavor of the day. True identity is not realized. It is 
received. Let's close by going back to that passage we started with. Matthew chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Who are we? Who are we? Roman citizens? Free Jewish people? Who are we? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left and went away. Don't you wish that there was a follow-up question? Don't you wish that there's a follow-up question? What is God's? What is God's? And that the response of Jesus likely would have been, whose inscription is on you? Whose image is on you? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God's what is God's. You are God's. Stop trying to answer the question of realizing your worth from inside of you, but receive it from God outside of you. See, we, our world, and we ourselves are often asking the wrong question. The question's not, who am I? The question is, whose am I? And if we will answer the question of who we belong to, who's our God, who has created us, then the questions, all the other questions that come up with identity, all the angst, all the anxiety, all the worrying, we can leave at the foot of the cross as we recognize that we belong to God, that we are His, and that what He says about us is true, that our true identity is not realized, it is received. And so this morning, as our music ministry comes and as we close out, I think the challenge to us is this, that many of us, and especially if you're in here, and maybe you're a young person still trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And the world tells you, well, you just need to answer the question, who am I? And once you answer that, all the other stuff will be answered. Once you figure that out, you just go after that no matter what anyone else says. You just go with whatever you feel on the inside. You just go after that. We all have this often taught to us. But the truth is, that's not going to provide true happiness not going to provide to fulfillment and true joy. But if you will, instead of trying to realize who you are, receive from God who he says you are. Understand that just as what we sang at the beginning of the service, that you are a child of the one true king. That he created you, that he loves you, that he longs to spend eternity with you then you can live in the midst of that reality. And no matter what you do for work, 
no matter where you live or all these other things that we worry about. And You know, do I stand? Do I kneel? Do I put my hand over my heart to all these controversies in our world? Trying to figure out who am I? Maybe if we can just figure out whose we are. That some of these other things will fall into line on how important they really are. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word that you have provided. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for making our identity sure in who we are. You have not left it ambiguous. You have not left it unclear for us to figure out. You have told us directly what you think of us, how much you love us. Very clearly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You have made it very clear, your love for us. You have made it very clear, the value you have placed on us. Lord, we are created in your image. And Father, may that be enough. May that be enough value. May that be enough worth. May that be enough identity in who we are. Father, help us to get that right as a people and as a church so that from there, then we can go and do whatever you want us to do. It doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change what you've said about us. Lord, teach us and lead us today. Help us to be a people that are not endeavoring to realize an identity from within, but receive our identity from you. In Jesus' name.